So this is a, a, a part two from a couple weeks ago. If you weren't with us last week, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. That was awesome. So we took a little pause from Ephesians. But we're in the book of Ephesians right now, which is uh, the last of the four, what they call the prison letters of Paul. That's where we have been the whole year, in, into the different letters that Paul wrote from prison. And it's just such a fascinating Reality, the personal testimony of someone who is unjustly in prison. And how do you respond? How would you respond? If you were unjustly, you know, in prison or, or, or locked down and stuck in a place where you know you don't want to be, what kind of fruit comes out? And, and that's part of why or how we even got there is because we know that the past year has been tough and a lot of us are feeling like, well, we're locked down in so many different ways and just don't have that normal freedom in life. And, and, and the challenge is what fruit is coming out of us in these challenging times? And what we saw from Paul and see in Paul is, man, the guy's living an abundant life where the fruit coming out of him when things get hard is joy and hope and peace and he tells us a lot of the, the secrets, if you will, of how he's living this life. And so we started the year just being very attracted to, man, we want in God's strength to be those kind of powerful people that, that are able to bear good fruit in any circumstances and not be dictated by life circumstances. I mean, isn't that right there a, an incredible challenge of life? Are you dictated by life circumstances or do you have a power from in here where fruit Good fruit comes out of you in spite of the circumstances, and even through difficult circumstances, you see God meet you in the valley, and you bear better fruit than before the hard circumstance. It's like, that's what the Bible says over and over he wants to do. And so, we're in Ephesians, and we're in chapter 2 right now, and it's a part 2, because I got so excited in part 1 that, that I only got to one of, of the three pieces of it, so... Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10 to 22 is what we're looking at. Let's just kind of recap real quick by going to, let's say, uh, is it chapter, or is it verse 8? Let's see here. Ah, we'll go to 10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So real quick, and you can go to the last message from two weeks ago if you want to, a little bit deeper. But in summary, this is an amazing verse that says, In eternity past, when God designed you, each one of you, you, he had specific intentional ways that he designed you to reflect his goodness to the world. Good things that you were created to do. Now we made it clear. This passage makes clear we're not saved by works, but God saved us for works meaning he's got good things for us to do because in eternity past, as it says, God prepared beforehand that you would be his workmanship. The real word there is masterpieces, poema, like the poetry of the master artist. When God knit you together and saw who he would bring into your life, you're all knit together. We are all knit together to be the poetry of God that reflects the master artist. God prepared it ahead of time. So there's great purpose in each and every one of our lives and in our lives together 
to reflect God. It's an amazing thing that he designed and wants to empower us to do. And as Paul turns their attention right after that to one of the very specific good things that's part of just their new way of life. And I want to know one more word here, that we should walk in them. So this poet, poetic beauty of God that he designed us with to come together and reflect him, that we should walk in them, that word is just live, that we should live in them. It's just life, normal life. Everyday life with God is meant to look like this. And so he's about to get into a very specific example of one of the good works that God created us for, designed us for, poetically is weaving together in his wisdom, and it's just supposed to be normal life for a Christian. And what is it? He goes into the passage. It's being one who breaks down walls of hostility and therefore reflects the Father's heart. Actually, as he goes on to say in Ephesians 5, 1, is one of the most stunning passages in the Bible. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Right after he finishes talking about Jesus being on the cross, God in the flesh, showing his heart for the world. As he put himself on the cross, what does it say? To break down walls of hostility, to reconcile us to God and one another. Let's go there real quick. Ephesians 2, 13 to 16-ish. Actually, let's go 14. He himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his body the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. Ancient walls of hostility have been torn down on the cross. That's part of what Jesus was doing to make both groups one. Do you hear that? And make both groups one and might reconcile us both to God. So let's make sure we're abundantly clear. The walls of hostility that he's talking about are not simply between you and God. We understand that, and it's part of it, to reconcile us both to God. So that is part of the walls of hostility that come down on the cross, but he's making abundantly clear that part of those walls of hostility in mind are the walls of hostility, those ancient areas of sin and weakness and vulnerability in humanity that separate us from one another. Goes way back to the Garden of Eden. What happened as soon as sin entered in the world, they were aware of their nakedness and they felt shame. And so they covered themselves from who? God and one another. It's always connected. It's always connected. Because actually to be in healthy relationship with God means you're going to be reconciling in healthy relationships with one another. Because if God's in you and shining through you and you're being an imitator of God... And you see what Christ did for you on the cross while you were a sinner, an enemy running from him, dead. If that gets in you, 
it changes you and how you interact with others. They're always connected, but way back into the garden. That's the story. That's the first story of an ancient wall of hostility that was erected as people chose to go their own way, to forsake God, to say no thanks. And that's the, that's the essence of the Adam and Eve narrative is for the first time we had the opportunity as humans and we said, nah, I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. And then, you know, the walls of hostility come up and the passage, it's comical how like, you know, when God's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, why are you hiding yourself? You know, and he said, well, you know, <laughs> I love it. It's, it's a marriage, uh, you know, retreat right there. He's like, well, because I was naked. And he's like, God says, how do you know you were naked? And he says, well, the woman made me do it. You know, like the woman made me eat an apple. I thought I was just having an afternoon snack. And it, she did it. It's her fault. I mean, you see, the walls of hostility. It's funny. It's not funny. Because it's like these are deep wounds. This is the story of humanity starting. And, and where as we are meant to be, in relationship with God and one another, as soon as sin enters in, bam, separation. Separation from God, separation from one another. And there's shame. And there's hostility and there's deception now. And there's blaming. And the list goes on and on. And so this passage is getting into some very ancient problems. The most ancient of problems that humans have which is that in, when, when we chose to do life apart from God, it just messed up God's creation, separated us from God, separated us from one another. And in this passage in particular, he's ta he talks about Jews and Gentiles. I mean, you want to talk about groups that are separated. I mean, these groups have been separated as, as long as they can remember. They've gone to physical bloody war against one another in animosity, in walls of hostility. And, and, and the Bible is <laughs> the good news. The gospel is that, hey, guess what? You get to be one. I mean, think about that. Think about human history and, and groups that have hated one another. And the gospel says, hey, guess what? Good news for you. Your enemy gets to be your friend. I mean, who, who thinks that's good news? Your enemy, in, in, because of Christ, gets to become your friend. Jesus died on the cross to make that happen. Both groups becoming one. Dividing walls of hostility broken. So that from this offensive idea that a Gentile I'm supposed to be one with? Do you know our history? Do you know what we've been through? Do you know the bloodshed, the hostility? And both sides are probably totally right, right? Just like God would be totally right to leave us in our sin because we've chosen it. We're his enemies. We've run from him. We've rebelled. The Bible says all that. In fact, we're dead. But God. As we looked at in Ephesians 2, verse 1. But God does not leave us there in relation to him and does not want us to leave the world there in relation to one another. It's a, it's a stunning passage that Jesus was on the cross, it says. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his body the dividing wall of hostility. 
at that point right there, that's just talking purely about humanity. In particular, Jews and Gentiles made us both one, two groups that could not get along and had as big of hostile walls as you can imagine going back almost as ancient as man and woman in the garden. And the good news that we all get to take in is, yeah, God's, God sees it all and Jesus went to the cross to fix it, to heal it, to redeem it. And what is that phrase? It comes out of there in verse 15. In order that he might create, Jesus might create in himself one new humanity out of the two. One humanity out of the two. Out of the division, out of the walls of hostility comes one beloved people of God. And so we were looking at last week, two, two weeks ago, that if this is God's heart, if this is central, central to Paul's description of what Jesus is doing on the cross, and the word to be imitators of God, then we have a, a divine calling, a commission to be barrier breakers. In fact, Paul says it like this. It's part of the good works that we were created to do ahead of time. It's part of the, the poetic redemption of God that he wants to weave together into the world, into humanity, that we should live in them. It says walk in them, meaning this should just be so much part of our DNA now that it's normal. We just This is just life with God. And so it's a beautiful invitation and that's it's a high challenge because this 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 is like whoo like walls of hostility don't come down easily if jesus had to go to the cross for it <laughs> we can be confident it the walls don't come down easily it takes work but here we're seeing god saying but it's worth it worth my son going to the cross for it's worth you saying okay lord help this be so normal to my heart my life my interactions that it's just part of how i live now it's part of the the poetic redemption that you're weaving together in me and through me so we saw last time that one aspect of being this kind of barrier breaker described in the passage is that we have to see ourselves as ambassadors of this reconciliation, to see, to have hearts that desire to see walls come down because it's God's heart. It's our heart because it's God's heart. If it's enough for Jesus to be on the cross for, it's good enough for me. If it's important enough for Jesus to be on the cross for, it should be important to me to carry that heart, to be imitators of God. As Ephesians 5 tells us, is our great role. So as we move on, just a couple, two more aspects of what does it look like to be that barrier breaker. And we just write from this passage, look at two more things. One, or if you're following in the lift notes, this is number two, because it's building on last time. But it's at, at, as Christians, we are honest and real about the pervasive nature of sin and resulting in the ancient walls of hostility that do exist. There's a, just a courage here in the passage. I mean, you don't, we, we, sometimes we read, oh, Jew and Gentile, that's not, really our, that's not really our conflict anymore for most of us. So it's like, okay. And it, you kind of can minimize the, 
there is a courage that Paul is calling the reader to have, to face what is a difficult, very, very long, painful history in reality. He's saying we, we have to be courageous enough to recognize that there are walls of hostility that exist so that we can embody Christ's heart to see him come down. And so this is, the word, this is a call to courage. For Jews and Gentiles, there's, there's so many walls of hostility in their history, but the main point is not simply about Jews and Gentiles. That's part of it. But to be an ambassador for Christ, it's to reverse and redeem, to courageously recognize, recognize, reverse, redeem any of those ancient walls of hostility. And you can go back, so this is Jews and Gentiles, so that's more, there's, there's the ethnic clashes, the racial clashes. You go back to the beginning of the garden, and it's, the, it's male and female. And, and sadly, is there not ancient walls of hostility that still exist today? And you can go a little bit further into Genesis, and you can see within the, the challenge, within families, the hostility that can emerge. I mean, what a tragic story in the Bible that the first siblings, one killed the other. That's not, that's not a Sunday school story. But that's probably where we all learned it, right? And somehow, like, oh, we threw a rock. Like, that is a horrible story. Speaking to the reality of the pervasiveness of sin and how tragically it touches every relationship that exists. Whether it's the, the man and woman, whether it's siblings, whether it's the, the family unit itself. I mean, that's one of the things you see in the Old Testament. There is so much drama. I mean, there, it could make the, you know, movies look like nothing because they're real stories. But it's descriptions in the tragic way of ancient walls of hostility. That Christ came to redeem, to heal, to reverse. And so part of that is looking back in and looking into our lives. There's a courage that is we are being called to. To say, I recognize, I'm not afraid to recognize that there is hostility here. And I'm just, just going to gloss it over and say, no, it doesn't matter. Or, or it doesn't really exist. And, I, and I, I can feel that temptation because we do live in a world that makes such a big deal of division, makes us such a big deal of differences, makes such a big deal of hostility. In fact, the, I mean, we have the entire media system that is now geared to profit around fear and division. I don't know if some of you guys saw, there's a, a uh, you know, leaked video that came out a couple weeks ago about one of the most prominent uh, news organizations in our country, and I'll leave their name out of it because my conviction is it doesn't matter which one. They're all in this boat. And they what the technical director confessed is that they profit from fear. You don't watch if it's not scary. And so he even confessed one specific where the the head of the, of the whole media company has like a bat phone, like a red phone going straight into the production room and will call in and, and he 
confess the specific, that, that coronavirus death tally is for ratings because it scares the hell out of people. And so they have to watch. And literally, he said time and time again, the, the owner of the company will call in and say, this segment is not interesting to me. Put the coronavirus death tally back up. Why? Because it's terrifying. And that's what locks us in. And so we talked about this last year and how much intentional fear they put out. Why? Because it's what keeps us locked in. And so it's just that little piece of, of knowledge for us to, to recognize that the, the, the media is intentionally on all sides and all spectrums fanning the flames of division in our world. Why? Because when we're scared, they make money. And, and hostility is scary in whatever form, along whatever lines. And so part, part of me is like, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about walls of hostility. Because I know the media fans that flame to make money. They've confessed it as much. And so there's a little bit of like, oh, gosh, more, more walls of hostility. But we've got to be careful. The Bible says very clearly there are walls of hostility. And part of our courageous job, job is to recognize them. And then where it gets different is the solution. Whereas the media and the philosophies of today can do a decent job at pointing out sin, pointing out brokenness, pointing out areas of hostility, pointing out divisions that are real. As we've talked about in the church, that <laughs> big deal. That, to point out other people's problems is not a spiritual gift. That's one of the most easy, low-level, non-intellectual. I mean, it's like something that is not very impressive. Pretty much anybody can point out other people's sins. And so the media does a great job pointing out all the problems in the world, scaring us daily so that we tune in. But what's the solution? And in this passage, we have two very specific things. Whereas I would argue that the philosophies of this day have very little to do with solutions. And even worse, many of the common philosophies today even want division because it's part of the, it's part of the plan. Keep people divided. And, and the solutions that are, are proposed are solutions that only foster greater division, greater resentment, envy, hate, anger. So we got to go to God's word. What is the solution? If we're courageous enough to recognize, yes, there are divisions in the world. There are divisions all over the place. There are ancient walls of hostility that sin has erected. What do we do? And this passage has two very specific things. The cross and the cornerstone. So let's look here a little bit deeper into this passage. Ephesians 2, we'll go 17 to 22. He came, Jesus came and preached to you who were far off. Actually, sorry, I jumped ahead a little bit. Let's back up into verse 14. Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, 
so making peace and might, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Through the cross, through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. So one new humanity, according to Paul, according to God's word, according to our hope as Christians, this beautiful picture of one new humanity, which you fast forward into Revelation, is God's heart. Who's worshiping around the throne? Every tongue, tribe, and nation. For God so loved the whole world that he sent his son. And so the redemption goes. Jesus said, take it from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, so that this picture of heaven, there will be one new humanity, united every tongue, tribe, and nation around the throne. Well, right now, the throne for us is the cross. <laughs> That's Jesus' throne right now in this sense. This passage clearly says one new humanity begins at the cross. It's God's vision. It's God's heart. Jesus was on the cross for it. And so for us, we have to know that one new humanity begins at the cross. What happens at the cross? We all come to die. Jesus died and he invites us into that. To be baptized into his death. To come and carry our cross and to die so that we might live, Jesus says. So it's an invitation to life through death. That one new humanity is possible. It's God's heart. We work for it, but it starts at the cross where we come and die. So what does that look like? Galatians 3.28 says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. So those were the two. Those are the, that's Jews and Gentiles. This is what is talked about in Ephesians 2. These are the both groups that Paul's specifically going after in that moment. And now he says, those, those things don't exist. What? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is nor male nor feet nor, excuse me, there is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So at the feet of the cross, Paul is saying, he's not saying that these groups don't exist. Like we just talked about the importance of recognizing them. The whole Bible recognizes them. Paul recognizes them in Ephesians 2. So he's not saying these walls of hostility and these different groups don't exist. What is he saying? He's saying we must come to the cross and die to those things as our primary identity. Because that's going to keep walls of hostility erected. Our primary identity begins at the cross. At the feet of the cross is where humanity unites in our death, where we all recognize that we're completely equal before God, made in his image, yet we've all rebelled. We are all broken. We're all fallen. We're all gone astray. Yet in Christ, we're all wildly loved from before time even began. We're seen by God. We're valued. We're accepted. We're forgiven. But that all happens at the cross. And what happens first, first though, is a death. It's a death to ourself. It's where Paul's talking about in Philippians where he had all of the accomplishments from the world. 
He had all the right boxes checked, if you will. He was a Jew of Jew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was educated in the right place. He was from the right class. He was a male. He was the guy. He was, you know, all the, as a young guy, he was moving up in the ranks. And what does he say? The closest thing in the Bible to a cuss word. It's all dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, and for whose sake I have let go of all of those things. So what is he saying? He's saying that is not going to make us right with God. None of those things can be our starting place. Now, here's the reality. Paul used all of those things, all of those things that he talks about denouncing, they were clearly part of how God used him in the world, but his whole point is they can't be my starting place of identity because then it's just going to foster walls of hostility between you and me. So it's, I've got to come and be willing to die. And that's what this passage is saying. Not male or female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, white or black, Democrat, Democrat or Republican. None of those things can be our starting place of identity. It'll foster walls of division. We've got to start by letting those things die on the cross. Now, God will resurrect some of them. He'll probably keep some of them dead, and he'll resurrect some of them to use in a healthy way. But we've got to be willing to lay it all down at the cross first. That's, that's how Paul can say such a thing as there is no Jew or Greek. Yes, there is. <laughs> there is no male or female. Yes, there is. And in the rest of the places of the New Testament, those things get affirmed as good and different and by God's design. What he's talking about is where is our primary identity coming from? And he's saying that it all has to die first at the feet of the cross. If you're bringing that to the fight, <laughs> there's going to be a fight. If you're bringing that into situations to where walls of hostility are trying to come down and you're bringing that as your identity that you say, nope, this can't shift, this can't change, there's nothing to give, there's nothing to learn, there's nothing to be humbled by, there's nothing that could be broken in this perspective. That's where the Bible's saying it's all got to die first. Every aspect has just got to come to the cross. Got to be willing to let it die. And let our identity be found at the cross as a beloved child of God. And then let God build it up. That's the cornerstone. We've got to die, and then we've got to come back alive in Christ. Listen to where this passage goes. It's amazing. Verse 17, and he came and preached to you who were far off and, and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. That's awesome. We both have access. I mean, we, we don't even hear that. That is an astounding statement. Jews and Gentiles, you both have access to the Father in the same way. Wow. That is the, so just pick your wall of hostility. Pick your favorite one and let God say to you, in Christ, God's heart is that you would both have the same access to the Father. And it starts at the cross. So that you are no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens. This is that one new humanity that's emerging. With the saints and the members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together 
grows into a holy temple into or in the Lord. In Christ, you are being built together, listen to this, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he is talking about these groups that have huge walls of hostility, ancient walls of hostility that, that Jesus on the cross took away the power of the enemy in it. It says he, he crucified it. He killed it. He killed the hostility through his sacrificial death that in the spirit realm it broke the back of the demonic power that, ki- that keeps every wall of hostility erected. And so we've got to participate in that death let it come to die. Let the cross bids us all to come and die. And now here in the cornerstone, who is Jesus? It says he invites us to come alive again and build this one new humanity together on the cornerstone of Christ. It's an amazing passage that it is you are being built together. He's talking about you, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, whatever the ancient wall of hostility was. You, too, are being built together into a dwelling place for God. What? That's that's the one new humanity that's on God's heart. It's on God's mind. Jesus was on the cross for it. He says, so come and die to all those other ways, all those categories and walls of hostility that used to be your primary identity. Die. Die. Be that beloved child of God, and now let me build you back up as one new humanity, where the two are one. It's an amazing picture of both death and life. It can't be the status quo. We've got to be willing to die, so then he can rebuild us together. Do you see the process in here? You feel the tension. You feel the challenge. He's not, I mean, it's, these are one of those verses where it's just easy to be like, oh, we're being built together into a dwelling place for God. Oh, that must mean our, our local church. Yeah, I, I, I like most of those people there. So, yeah, he's, it's a little bit of work sometimes, but he's building us together. No, he's talking about your enemy. It's in God's heart that you would so carry his heart and walk out, imitate what Jesus did on the cross to where those who used to be your enemies, you are now in process of God building you up as one new humanity. I love this passage because it's hard. I mean, you know, if, if anyone ever says that following Jesus is boring, <laughs> you're just not following Jesus. Uh-oh, sorry. <laughs> this is really hard. This is challenging. But there's so much life in it. And I, I, if God, if like, if God's real, I want to. I, I, I'm, I believe He's going to call us to supernatural things. If it's just like, oh, ho hum, I yeah, I'm following God, but I'm kind of doing everything. I, I mean, it's like just seems like normal. Seems like you know, just life doesn't really change much. This is wild. This is challenging. This this puts some wind in your cells and a, and butterfly in your belly. There's work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done to be that ambassador of reconciliation. And that's what he talks. This is a process. Listen to the very present tense continuous language. In him, you, too, you and your enemy. It's plural you, and the context is your enemy. 
in him, you and your enemy are being built together into a dwelling place for God. That one new humanity. You are being built together. Present tense continuous. Not one and done. Not, oh, Jesus did it on the cross. Cool. Thanks, Jesus. That's cool stuff. Looking forward to heaven. This is all about right now for you and me. Yes, Jesus did it on the cross. Yes, God's going to perfect that in heaven. And right now in the middle, we've got an assignment. This is one of this. Oh, this is just, as Paul says, this is just walking in him. This is just living in him. This is just normal life. Ambassadors of reconciliation who come to the cross and die for all of our own stuff and let Christ rebuild. You are being built together into a dwelling place. One new humanity built on the cornerstone, a process. So as we are being built, this is, that, this is the discipleship mindset played out with one another. This is that we would continue that learning posture from one another. In some ways, that's, that's I think, the key right there. Continue that learning posture. Know the goal. Know the, know the route. It's going through the cross. We're going to have to die to a lot of ourselves and our own presuppositions and our thoughts and what we thought was wise and knowledgeable. We've got to be willing to die and let Christ resurrect those things. And that happens in a continued posture of learning from God and from one another. So these ancient walls of hostility come down in practical ways. Let me give two quick examples, and we'll be done. I'll go on a just everyday life interpersonal, and then on more of like an intentional as church leaders. And so on the everyday life intentional, as I've been shared a few stories with you guys about the Tuesday adventures with my middle son, Daniel, who loves basketball, and we go down to the courts together, uh, and it's, it's been an, lots of fun. But God's got us on mission there. I'm not unaware of the fact that I am incredibly different than almost everyone there. That I'm a different age, I'm a different race, different class, different you know, education. The only thing we got going is I'm a dude, you're a dude, and we like basketball. And I'm the OG. They gave me a nickname, which stands for old guy. Because I could be most of their dads. I'm serious. It's funny. Like, yeah, I told you guys before. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm guarding OG. I'm like, oh, OG, yeah, I'm an original gang. So you see my ball skills? No. You're the old guy. <laughs> uh, now I know that for sure. Uh, but just beautiful relationships. I, I was just shared, honestly, for me, this is for number one of just carry God's heart. Carry God's heart, which says just love. Love people. Be willing to die to your own self, your own assumptions, and watch God build stuff. And so I don't want to rehash the stories, but I'll share one uh, ongoing that happened last week as we're just trying to live this as normal. And so my son Daniel's there. He's there by himself. And uh, so it's, it's with a, you know, this, this group of guys that, just like Daniel, are just couldn't really be more different. So according to the world, there's all these walls of hostility that should be up, right? But building relationship, learning, listening, loving, finding those common areas of just life and all the good stuff and, and seeing good relationships emerge. Something that just touched my heart, it happened twice, two weeks ago, where 
It's about the lights go out at 10 p.m. And Daniel's there, and he rides his bike there sometimes. And and uh, but I'm aware I'm at home on this one because he's there like every day. And uh, so this OG can't handle every day <laughs> on the knees, you know. So I'm like, all right, it's about 9:40, and we live like a minute away. So I'm getting ready for that phone call. And I'm just going to jump down there. I don't want him biking home that late. So I put, you know, put the bike in the car and ride home. And uh, so he calls me up. And this happened twice. Right about 9.45, 9.50, I jump down there. And when I get there, just this beautiful sight. So this is from, you know, when you don't know these guys at all. And according to the world, there's all just every single type of difference possible. And religion being a big one, too. And I saw it two times in the same week where about 9.55 p.m., I roll up, and the place is just completely empty, and the lights go out at 10. Like, it all of a sudden just pitch black, just, you know, now it's all of a sudden, you know, a dark park. And so 9.55, and I, I roll up, and I see a group of about four or five guys uh, sitting on the benches right with Daniel. And I, I honk. And uh, Daniel, like, says bye and gives him high fives, and then he rolls over on his bike. And immediately, I see this group of young men just get up, and they leave. And it just touched my heart. It's like, he's 14. The world says these guys can't be friends. And they just took this little dude under their wing and protected him. And to the point where dad got there, they see dad, so they, they leave. These group of four or five guys, it was a different group each time. And I was like come on now, like that, though, that's just everyday life. That's him loving, that's me doing my best when I'm there, loving. And, and walls get broken down with love, it's amazing. And so now these young men have taken Daniel under their wing. They, they hear him, they hear, oh, he's calling dad, let's, I mean, I wanna, how did that happen? How did that happen? They hear, oh, hey, you know what, you know what, before we leave guys, Daniel, he, his dad's coming, let's sit, let's wait, let's, you know, let's protect him, let's watch out for him. And dad comes, and then they just immediately get up and leave. And it's just kind of the everyday life of walls breaking down. As ambassadors of Christ, to have that heart, to see it, to work for it, to build on it. And then another one is just taking that learning posture. So within the context of church. So I'm in a discipleship group every week and uh, with, with, a, with a mentor, Mike Breen. Some of you guys know him and know about him. And uh, so the other two, two Thursdays ago, just recently... Uh, we got in a conversation about some of this stuff. Ironically, it's like, oh, I was preaching on this. This is, this is right here. And uh, I just heard a story that was like, oh, my gosh, man. I, I have a lot to learn through listening. As this uh, brother named Dr. Reggie, uh, who's from Georgia, African-American pastor, he told this story that, like, wow, I've never heard anything like that. He's from Georgia, and he felt a call to serve a church in northern Florida, and he said that he knew going into the call that that was a place where the Ku Klux Klan had, had thrived at a time, and so some of those mentalities were still very much entrenched, and so he was there, and, and just a few weeks in, one of the elders invited him over for dinner, and so he went over for dinner and, and, uh, and went to, told the story that, you know, among no uncertain terms, the elder made it clear that, hey, we don't like you. We don't want you here. Specific, and specifically what stuck out is like, we don't want your culture was, was the phrase. And among other things. And Reggie's response was incredible. He's like, so it, 
took me a little bit more time to win that guy over. So we gotta, we gotta live with thick skin and a tender heart. And I was like, I was like, I've, I've never, I've never had anyone talk to me like that. First of all, I've, I've, I've talked with, you know, African American brothers and sisters in this church who said out here in California, we have an honest conversation. and said, I don't feel like I've ever experienced racism in my life. That was one particular friend's description. And then this is like, wow, that. And all I'm saying is, it's just the same thing as out with Daniel in the sense of go with that open heart, go to learn, go to love, go to tear down those walls. And that learning posture is key to help build. So this was in a church leader context. And so we're all just learning. We all got to talk. We all got to share and forging that one new humanity that is through the cross where we unite in our identity in Christ are willing to let everything else die and then say, God, I want to learn and go through the process of being us together being built by you on the cornerstone into that one new humanity. So we got work. And Paul says, hey, this is just part of normal life following Jesus. So, amen. Let's do it. Dance like David